0: For this episode of Coffee with Closers, I'm sitting down with Tim Kopp. Tim is the Executive Chairman and CEO of Terminus. He also serves as a partner at Hyde Park Ventures. Tim is recognized as a marketing and technology leader with more than 20 years of experience at global B2B and B2C brands such as Exact Target, Coca-Cola, and P&G. Stay tuned for my conversation with Tim where he shares practical advice for entrepreneurs and business leaders. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Hey Tim, I'm super excited to have you join me for this episode of Coffee with Closers.
1: Yeah, glad to be here.
0: Most certainly, man, you have a a resume that's just anyone would covet. You started at P&G, Coca-Cola. Uh, you went to Exact Target, which was acquired by, acquired by Salesforce for over two point seven billion. Then you were Hyde Park investor. Now ended up as the chairman and CEO of Terminus. I mean, talk about accomplishment! That's just amazing. Of all the things you've accomplished, and which would you say you are most proud of?
1: Oh boy, um, the well, first off, thank you. But um, sometimes better lucky than good. But it's uh, I, w- I would actually say, you know how. Um, For football coaches or basketball coaches they talk about coaching tree that's what's most important to me so i i it would be hard for me to single out any one job but i've had over 50 people who have worked for me go on to take on um kind of vp and above kind of vp all the way up to ceo roles um that's what i'm most happy about
0: that's awesome to hear and obviously i don't know if you know this back in 2012 11 um, indirectly, Exact Target was one of our clients because I Go Digital, if you recall, oh my uh, was gosh. acquired by Exact Target. Yeah, and yeah, through that acquisition, hard. yeah, through that acquisition, Exact Target was uh, for at least a short while before Salesforce decided to eat them up. Uh, but yeah, so that's a that's an interesting story. And I also saw your resume has Coca Cola, which uh, back in two thousand and four, uh, I was actually an employee at Coca Cola as well. So we oh. kind of have some stuff similar. We got some similar bloodlines <laughs> then. Yeah, most certainly. So obviously you are you are not the original founder of Terminus and you kind of brought on uh, as a CEO. But you have an interesting story because you were an investor first and then you decided to take on the role as a CEO. So what was the transition like? Because it's not it's not the normal. Right. Like an investor just became a CEO. Yeah. yeah
1: it, well, I wouldn't have predicted it. Um, but so the story goes post exact target. I started doing my own early stage angel investing. and. Uh, if I recall right, I think you've talked to Godard Abel before mm-hmm, uh, as part of this. So uh, I was the earliest angel investor in G2 Crowd. There was a number of others. And not surprisingly, I did a lot in MarTech. Terminus was one of those. So mm-hmm. um, I invested when it was kind of a PowerPoint, an idea, a couple of customers. And uh, so it was an investor early on, then kind of took on a board role and then ended up just working more and more actively with the CEO. And I think, you know, his real passion was building and growing something kind of through the, the hyper growth up to 30 million. And then he and I just kept working together more and more actively. Um, I was on the CEO search committee and somehow they pulled some kind of jujitsu trick. And next thing you know, I'm, um, I'm, uh, I'm CEO, but I, I joined as executive chairman first to kind of, um, give it a go, see how, see how it would work. And, uh, you know i just i've got the operator uh dna in me and once i got back in i was just hooked on the team and the on the opportunity
0: yeah and i'm sure that you have some exciting story to share now as a ceo as well right you just raised you as series c you said
1: we did it was cool the company we've been very bootstrapped super capital efficient we're kind of been doing it old school so we've been uh we'd only raised like $35 million to date and we're above that in ARR. So we've been you know, very scrappy. And um, we have a very experienced team. So we didn't wanna raise money just to raise money. I don't, I don't get you know, off on the idea of just here's, here's a logo and we raised a bunch of money just to do it. So we're very thoughtful about it. And um, ended up talking to a number of late stage firms. Of course, the market's pretty good right now. ABM's continue to get hotter, but we wanted to find the right partner. And um, we ended up getting the operating partner who um, was the former CEO at ZoomInfo. Um, so with his domain space, kind of that former operating DNA, and then letting the team just kind of run and continue to do, do our own thing. So it was great. The ink just dried on that uh, seven to ten days ago. So we're uh, still working through it, but it's, it's been uh, it's been awesome.
0: So obviously, Terminus is in the business of creating a category. ABM was like a thing, right? Just, uh, you know, people were just kind of starting to talk about, but you've done a great job in creating a category and and building a brand around that at the same time. So what advice do you have for especially founders who have that aspiration to create a category and also build a brand, meanwhile, feeding the demand that needed to to pay the bills? So what advice do you have for someone uh, that's trying to do that?
1: Um, I've talked to Nick Mehta some about this too. I think Gainsight did a phenomenal job. You know, it's a, it's a double edged sword because when you're creating a category, you're kind of going first. So you have to do all the evangelistic work that goes up front. In other words, you have to build all the demand. There's not latent demand. There weren't people just out searching for ABM five years ago. Um, so you have to build that demand, but the upside is you get to create a whole new category, all the credit to, um, The other co-founder, Sangram Varhe, he launched and created this movement called Flip My Funnel. And what the whole idea was, is taking your marketing funnel and flipping it instead of why have we spent all this time fishing with a net when we should be fishing with a spear gun. And so the whole idea was inverting the funnel. He created this Flip My Funnel movement and then Terminus as an ABM player became associated with that movement. And that's kind of what led to a lot of building, uh, building the category.
0: Yeah. And I think, obviously, when you talked about like going going first, right, there's a lot of complication that comes with that because you're trying to educate the market, get them to buy into that whole concept before they even buy your product. And that means you're extending your sales cycle a lot longer and you got to tell your investors why it's taking really long to to get to the revenue, you know, positive revenue and stuff, stuff like that. Right. So what, what kind of mindset you need to have as a founder to really be able to adopt that? Uh, sort of an approach (laughs) you know it's
1: funny everybody's like i want to go create a new category of software and i'm like really (laughs) do you know what you're signing up for because you have to do all the evangelistic work up front and then retention can also be tough because you're in a new category and somebody doesn't know what to compare it to and Mm -hmm. so when it you know it's just a more difficult it's it's difficult at the top of the funnel it's difficult to build your brand it's difficult with retention but the upside and the opportunity for what you can create is far bigger. So I think you have to have, we were fortunate to have Sangram. Um, I don't know like how a CEO both runs a company and does the evangelistic work. So, um, Godard and Nick are two of my mentors in that regard, but, um, that's what you're doing. You're out kind of building the demand, building the category. It is hard work. It requires some patience, but once you get through kind of that, uh, kind of the hype cycle that trough of disillusionment and rockets up, which is kind of where ABM is, then it's like, hold on. It's kind of a, mm. it's a rocket ride.
0: Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say HubSpot was creating a category, but they actually created a movement, which totally. was the inbound methodology. Uh, and even though marketing automation was around way before HubSpot even came into the picture, but I think they did a great, they did a great job in doing that category as well.
1: You nailed it. You nailed it. What, what they're doing is creating a movement. They're creating mm-hmm. a movement that people want to be a part of. Um, so it's not really selling the software. It's not selling the category. It's something is so broken in the world today. In, in our case, it was the world of marketing. Gainsight, it was client success. G two Crowd, it was software reviews. HubSpot, it was kind of early on marketing automation, going way back to kind of search and everything. But it's creating a movement. People are so disenfranchised with the status quo. They wanna they wanna find a, a new a new horse to ride, and they wanna be part of something more aspirational. I think you've nailed it. It's really mm-hmm. a movement.
0: Most certainly. Well, obviously, let's talk a little bit about you because obviously you started in C, you know, B2C, worked for some of the biggest companies in the world uh, when it comes to building brands, and uh, then you went on to become an inv- investor and now CEO. All these things you're accomplishing. What's the why? What's the why behind that keeps Tim going?
1: Well, um, I like variety first off. So ADD is like, I just got it, so I embrace it, and I like lots and lots of variety. And what I found is I've unintended, it took me about ten years in to realize this, but I like to be right on the bleeding edge. So um, when I, for example, when I came into P&G and Coke, if it was to have a traditional brand management role, I think I would have stunk at it what I, I was one of the very I was one of the very first handful of people who went in to go do digital marketing for them and proving online ads can work and email can work and website and you know so Bill, I like to be the first one in the door kicking the door in, taking all the bullets, working on the and then once it once it becomes more um, built into the mainstream, um, I don't like it as much. and mm-hmm. it drives my wife crazy because she's like, if you could just enjoy it once you've done all the hard work up front. So it turned out, I was an entrepreneur locked in a big man's company kind of body, uh, early on. So, um, so I went and got the training in, in B2C It was a phenomenal place to, to, you know, to train and get, and I think it turns out that B2B, everything that's happening in B2C, uh, that's happening in B2B rather is what happened in B2C 10 years ago. So now kind of the idea of one-to-one marketing, it's actually more doable within B2B than I think it is B2C. Um, so again, but the Exact Target, it was not very common then to be a CMO at a SaaS company. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was it was early, so I like doing that, and um, you know. Then once we got acquired by Salesforce, not as much. And so I like being in early. I like building, and I like being in the grind with the team.
0: Yeah, and I think when when I even heard about Exact Target acquisition, right, coming from Indiana, it was kind of hard to believe a tech company out of Indiana for two point seven billion. It was just kind of a, an amazing story. No. So we're obviously in a fast-changing environment, right? The technology continued to evolve and the marketing has completely you know, changed how you do I'm sure 20 years ago when you were trying to get into the space, it was not anything that we are seeing today and we're obviously controlled by a lot of data regulations too. Were there ever a time in your career that you were kind of resistant to change as the technology was evolving?
1: Um, not really. <laughs> I've always been been first one in willing to take the bullets, willing to try it out. Even at Coke, I got my hands all into the Diet Coke Mentos mess and I was involved in the first on early. I think we did the very first paid ad um, on YouTube um, way back when when Chad was running it. And uh, I just I just I don't mind taking the risks that that come with going early.
0: So and as basically now you're a senior leader right? running an organization, you're casting vision, raising capital, you know, building a culture, doing all of those things. How are you investing in yourself? Because obviously you kind ha- of you know, you have to be in the forefront of knowing where the marketing and technology is heading, also investing in yourself to become that senior leader to run a big corporation. So uh, how are you investing in yourself?
1: You know, it's a good question. It's probably honestly the biggest transformation I had to figure out how to go through the, the weight and pressure that you feel is real when you're really responsible for a company for all the employees in the company for the category for all your customers um so finding other people to share the load with is number one like you just you have to find yourself in community and people who inspire you and um, so oftentimes the people who are trying to get on your calendar are not who you should spend time with the people that are so busy. You can't get on their account. So you actually have to stop what you're doing and pursue the people who give you energy and find the time to get on their calendar. And then I've routinized my life. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, every morning, no matter what come hell or high water, I work out at seven o'clock. Then I come home and I download with my wife and we get ready for the day, like at eight o'clock. So somebody wants a meeting at seven thirty? Nope. Don't do that. Like it's just very, very routinized in terms of how I do it. And then I think I've just become a fearless prioritizer. Um, I run my whole calendar, I do it old school, everything I've got is on a notepad and I write down my priorities for the day. And uh, my calendar is more fluid than my priorities, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So it's always flowing to what's the highest priority need.
0: Mm -hmm. I know at Terminus you have this concept of one team and a key to the Ferrari. Can you explain to our audience what that is?
1: Yeah. So the idea of silos existing within companies makes me bananas, particularly mm-hmm. our whole mantra at that time was sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And they would run them like they're two different things. No, they're one thing, and it's called go-to-market. And they should be working together hand in glove. And the most powerful companies that I see from Apple and B2C to Salesforce and B2B, they're the ones who figured out this go-to-market motion. It's one team. It's everybody. It's, it's figuring out how to compete externally and collaborate internally and some companies somehow get it backwards because of politics there's all this competition internally and that's not the way it should be one team one dream everybody moving everybody incentivized on the same goals and then keys the ferrari means go (laughs) like i don't know if you've driven a ferrari but it's hard And Mm -hmm. like, so somebody gives you the keys and you just got to figure out how to drive it. But we have built a very high performance car and I want everybody to know no matter how big we get, you're an entrepreneur and you get in the car and you go, you've got the keys.
0: So then talk a little bit about that culture aspect of it, right? Because everybody, even when you're trying to hire a person, they ask, what's your culture like? And you as the leader has to kind of build that culture for the company. So what kind of practical uh, things are you doing internally to build that high performance culture?
1: So this, if I had to pick one area that I'm crazy passionate about, it's probably this. And Mm -hmm. if I were to write a book, I think it would actually be called marketing from the inside out. And Mm -hmm. if you think about the most powerful brands that really connect with you, they connect with you because they're authentic. And I think everybody's been now throwing around this word authenticity everywhere, but truly authentic brands connect with you more deeply, like in your soul, they become part of what that's kind of back to the movement. Um, That can't happen unless every single one of your employees is bought into what they're doing. And they're reinforcing the brand at every touch point. Um, Southwest being a good example and on and on and on. So the CEO at Marriott can declare whatever they want their brand to be. If the person who's checking you in at the front desk doesn't represent that brand, the entire thing falls apart. So I believe that the way you recruit, retain and engage your employees is... um, Um, the number one thing. And so it's the number one priority on my list. I share it with the company. I share it with the board. And so the other boards that I'm on, um, everybody talks about this. I I say, here's the way I can figure out if it's important to you. Who owns it? Mm -hmm. Literally. No, don't tell me the executive team owns it. Don't tell me who owns it in the company. How much budget they have that goes toward this. What exactly are the motions that they have set up? When you do a product release, any acquisition we've done, any product release, all of our companies or all of our people inside the company know what's happening at least a week before it happens, even acquisitions that you normally wouldn't share until day of. They know days ahead of time. I want everybody to be fully bought into and understand and have time to you know, kind of agree and disagree and chop it up together.
0: Yeah, and when you t- 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 talked about, you know, like the Southwest or any of those companies doing it, right? I mean, the creating emotion is, you know, I think it's somewhat easier for a B2C brand, but B2B companies or we're technology trying to sell SaaS and we're trying to, selling it to a com- committee. There's a lot more complexity that comes with that. So how do you create that in a B2B environment, though? That emotional you know, attachment?
1: I, I used to believe they were different and now I don't because if I'm selling to Coca-Cola, The enterprise Coca-Cola doesn't sign the piece of paperwork. There's a buying committee of three people that are, guess what? People. And so it's still the same thing. It's not like when you go to um, um, buy your iPhone, you're like, you know what? I'm a consumer. And now I'm going to go and buy software and it's okay to have a crappy experience. It's not. It's Mm -hmm. so I've said, just because you're in B2B doesn't mean you're allowed to suck. And I really believe that if B2B marketers, you have as much license to go and be creative in B2B as you do B2C, but people have just checked that creativity at the door. Um, Mm -hmm. So the whole piece around um, building a movement, creativity, I mean, like one of the things our marketing team did, like you can't micromanage everything. So we talked about um, 2020 being a dumpster fire of of a year. And my team said, you know what, to bring this to life, I wanna get, we wanna set a dumpster on fire. We want to have one of our employees in it, we're going to go find a dumpster, we're going to go set it on fire, we're going to engage the fire. And I was like, it's amazing because it, like, it's taking risk. It's, it's living on the edge. It's bringing your brand to life in kind of a creative way. Um, B2B companies need to do more of it.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think you have a lot of different examples of that. I think that uh, Terminus is just trying to do things that are just creative and, and not just trying to be, nobody wants to be too cool in the B2B space, right? They don't, they're afraid of yeah. being cool. Yeah,
1: just be who you are. Just be just be human, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're doing that, the amazing part is nobody can copy you. Uh, Salesforce is who they are and they live it through and through. But that's different from HubSpot, which is different from Gainsight, which is different from on and on. Um, but when you are who you say you are and they really connect and you find a way to bring that to life, I think that's where all the power happens. But for some reason, B2B people, they go in with this like, like approach like they're neutered. And it's like, I'm just going to run this weird lead gen campaign or something and and treat people like robots. So it's just, it's humanizing marketing and bringing the authenticity of life.
0: So let's talk a little bit about organization systems and process. Obviously you're your guy investment background so you probably are managing a business with numbers. Um right. but going into a company being the leader, right? What what are some things you've implemented to make sure that the the entire company is going uh toward that one goal and that we are uh, hitting the goals that you have?
1: Yeah. So first off, I am very quantitatively driven. Um so I think especially the stage that we kind of go uh, from from here, you have to be this this whole idea in SCAS, every time somebody asks, is it repeatable? And you need mm-hmm. to know the question because it's one thing to go pilot something, but can you really scale it? So we look at all the traditional metrics um, that you would expect, bookings and pipeline and retention. Um, what I am most interested in, maybe so what, what what's different in what we track might be a different way to ask it. And I think the two or three things that I track that I'm not sure as many other people do is um, employee NPS. So ENPS and our employee engagement scores. Um, Then I look more to leading indicators. So we're looking at what are the the key things for where the business, what's kind of the latent demand that's building. And then I'm obsessed with net revenue retention, NRR. I think it is the most underutilized, under talked about thing in SaaS. We moved our net retention 35 points last year mm-hmm. and i think it's just by treating your customers everybody says they do but like how much your marketing team is dedicated toward your customers and customer base mm-hmm. we just take we tend to take all of our very best people and stack them toward new business and um it shouldn't it shouldn't work that way so i'm obsessed with um nrr
0: yeah and i think acquisition is where it costs a lot more to acquire than to retain and most people they, they do disservice to the retention aspect of it Right, like a product adoption. If it's not there when the contract is over, they're going to figure out a way to get out of it because they're like, "Well, we didn't maximize it last time. What do you think we're going to do next time?"
1: That's exactly right, especially in a new in a new category.
0: Definitely. So obviously, you know, you you are probably biased in the capital raising side because you are an investor and you're part of a investment company. But in terms of founders who are always thinking about, "Hey, we got to find a way to raise money because we got to fuel the growth." All of those things, right? The engineers aren't cheap and so is marketing. That's not cheap either. So what advice do you have for especially founders who are thinking about raising money?
1: So here's what it took me a while to figure out. Money does not solve all your problems. In fact, it can make it a lot worse. And as long as you can bootstrap the company, you should. Um, I believe that a scarcity mindset can drive more innovation than an abundant mindset. when you just believe you're going to throw all kinds of money at a problem. Now, there's a time and a place to do that. Um, you see that happening in the event management space. When, when a category is just really booming, you can chase it. Nine out of 10 people that didn't apply to. I really believe you need to have a scarcity mindset. You need to, to grind it. You need to get to the scalability and repeatability. And it, it the second kind of part B of that is you have no idea how much easier it is to raise money when you don't need it. It's it like people just don't think about that. It's so much. And we didn't need money this year. We had enough to get all the way through the year. So it allowed us to be much more patient.
0: That's awesome to hear. Because I think the temptation, especially as founders today, is like, hey, I just got to find out where to where to get that cash so I can invest into the growth. Uh, but oftentimes, it, I think innovation isn't there because you have the cash to solve the problems. And when you don't have the cash, I think you will find creative ways to solve uh, business challenges as well.
1: I agree more. I, I really couldn't. And. Um, I think nine out of 10 problems are really people problems and just having all the money in the world still doesn't solve that. I mean, there's some core things that you need to work on to kind of get in place. And so our whole, um, focus last year was getting the foundation in place. And then once you get the foundation in place to go accelerate, but I think first time founders, the tendency is, um, they think the success metric is the capital raise, I don't think that's the building a proper business with engaged employees and happy customers is the right metric and people somehow have um, sort of inverted that.
0: Most certainly. Well, I think you kind of touched on this earlier, but obviously as a CEO, your time is so much valuable, right? And I think we all, if anything that we all lack is, uh, is, is it not having enough times. So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs and founders, especially trying to scale their time? Uh, what kind of practical things that they could be doing to be more productive?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first off, when everybody says you must be really busy, I am busy, but you're Mm -hmm. busy. Yes, everybody is busy. You should be busy. I don't actually wear busy as a badge of honor. Um, I control and impact is what Mm -hmm. I think about. Um, And what I tell my people is if you're that busy running around doing what you're doing today, I can't promote you. You're, You're not ready for the next thing. So, the first thing we had to do is quit celebrating busyness as a culture, because I, I, I think that's kind of the wrong thing to do um, and really think more about impact. And so at the end of every year, I basically go through a business planning cycle. But for myself as a person, mm-hmm. and I ask like four or five people in my life to give me an evaluation on my physical health, my mental health. How engaged was I as a dad? How engaged was I as a husband? Um, how about, what about my community? What, and I look at like the seven or eight different metrics as part of a balanced scorecard. You take the, it's hard sometimes to hear that feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I make conscious decisions to then say, you know what, I'm going to focus on, you know, health is my number one priority. And then maybe you get that under control. So your, your priorities can be fluid. Um, but people don't know how to say no. And I think that is fundamentally the biggest problem. Um, they're so afraid to offend somebody with a no, um, I'm doing this session because I want to and I've said mm-hmm. no to nine other podcasts. Um, but I think the only thing, a yes is always a good answer. The only thing be- um, that's a very close runner up is a fast no. And mm-hmm. it's, I, w- I would love to do it now, but I can't. And mm-hmm. that's just, that needs to be part of more of the, like the, the way we do things, you know?
0: Most well, certainly. Knowing what you know today, what, what, what advice would you give our younger self?
1: Um, so, you know, on an airplane, when it starts to get bumpy and they give the, put, put the oxygen on yourself first, mm-hmm. and then, then you can take care of other people. It goes something like that anyway. Um, mm-hmm. that's, I think what I had backwards. I was so busy running around trying to take care of everyone else that I wasn't taking care of myself. And whether that meant being in the gym or spending time with my friends or being focused at dinnertime, um, and then coming to grips with you can't do it all and it's okay so there is no perfect work-life balance like balance if you think about judicial scales assumes an absolute equilibrium i can't think of a single week i've had a perfect 50 50 balance (laughs) like and it doesn't work that way what you're trying to do is manage it kind of across a year so i think about it as work-life flow so my whole family knows what I'm doing for a week. They know my schedule, they know what I'm doing. They know Wednesday's gonna be my hot day. They, so it's just integrating your whole life so that everybody kind of knows what you're doing. They know the names of the people you work with. They know the names of your most important projects. And um, so just integrating your whole life and not trying to silo it and learning how to prioritize.
0: Well, Tim, I really enjoyed our conversation. I'm super grateful you spared this time with me and wish you all the best with your journey.
1: Likewise, thanks for
0: doing what you do as well. Thank you, Tim. Take care. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit OneIMS.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.